So do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are furious wolves, ferocious wolves, excuse me. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who has built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished these sayings, these, finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his, at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So let's pray. Lord, as we uh, prepare to have Jackie come forward, we ask that you would um, anoint him with your spirit, Lord, that you would fill him to overflowing, that he would be able to penetrate with his words, your words, Lord, our hearts. Help us to have eyes to see and hands that really want to serve you, Lord. And Lord, we pray also for the teachers um, that are engaging in ministry for the kids here. We pray that you would anoint them as well, that they would uh, be uh, just equipped to, for every, every situation that they may come into with these kids. And Lord, we pray for the kids also, that you would settle them down and, and allow them to have 
ears to hear and um, hearts to receive what they have for them. And Lord, I pray for each of us also individually and corporately, Lord, that we would be affected by your words today. And Lord, that we would go out into this ever so dark world and be able to be that salt and light that you've designed us to be. We say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The little ones are free. So this morning we're going to have an opportunity to finish the Sermon on the Mount. Everybody excited? I think it's been, how long we've been here? Jesus did it in a rather short reading. We take our time a little longer. As we look at what, uh, what he has laid out for us, we don't want to lose sight of the big picture. What is the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount? The, the prime focus on the Sermon on the Mount is this ideal. Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And the point that Jesus is making to them is, unless you are more holy than the holiest people you know, you can't get in. You can't enter in. The door is not open for you. And it was a shocking message for them. And then as he develops the idea, he builds on six antithetical statements. You guys remember them? We talked about them before. You have heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say to you, if a man has anger in his heart to his brother, he's committed murder already. You have the Word of God, Jesus Christ, God the Word, giving commentary on the Word of God. He does the same thing with the Sabbath. We'll see it in a little while. And the point being this, there's no one better to give you the concepts of the meaning, the purpose behind the law than the lawgiver himself. And there's no one to give you the purpose or ideal behind the Sabbath than the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus will make those same proclamations now he goes on to begin a, a section of scripture where he contrasts uh, true and hypocritical righteousness, right? When we fancy up the outside, but it really doesn't have anything to do with the outside. It has to do with the condition of our heart. And he dealt with three specific areas, giving, prayer, and fasting. You remember? When you pray, pray thus. We had the Lord's Prayer. When you give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. When you fast, make it, don't make it look like you're suffering because your fast is directed toward the Lord. So he's trying to give them the idea, what does true righteousness look like? Because the picture they had was these holy men who did things a particular way. So if I wear what they wear, I say what they say, I do what they do, then I'm righteous too. And the Lord wants us to know there's only one way for you to be righteous. And that's through him. That he who knew no sin became our sin sacrifice that we might become the righteousness of God. It's only faith and trust in Christ that provides that righteousness. You cannot make yourself righteous. Jesus goes on to talk about 
the social issues of the day, the wealth and worry, which one of those by doing them is going to help you at all? Anybody ever worry themselves into a better situation? So we, we, he tells us about what true wealth is. He tells us about what, what the, the, the purpose behind worry. He says, seek ye first what? The kingdom of God. So our primary focus, and what he's saying when he's talking about this idea of being righteous, he's saying that ought to be a primary pursuit. Are you right with God? You should worry about that, not, you know, do you have food or clothes or how are you going to make this month's bills? He's saying it's of prime importance that you know that you're part of the kingdom of God. That you come in faith to Christ. And we saw uh, three, last week, we saw three things that the Lord says, hey, here's three areas of how you ought to treat one another. He talked about judging one another, remember? He talked about God's generosity. He talked about the golden rule. He focused us in on these things. And now we come to the culmination, the wrapping it all up, and you have the scariest scriptures in the Bible. If you don't know they're scary yet, then wait a minute, we'll read them and, and you'll know. So we, the whole point behind it all is not, okay, I really got to get my, my wanter all clued in so that I can go out and perform these actions. It's not about our performance. Jesus' teaching is about finding our position in Christ. So if you don't have position in Christ, there's nothing you can do. Can, can I save myself by my works? If I love my enemies enough, if I do all the things everyone else says I'm supposed to do, if I do all that, will I find myself not a child of wrath? The Bible tells us there's only one way to be translated from a child of wrath to a child of God. That's by faith in Jesus Christ. And this is the point that he is getting across. And in this section, this final section, one of the premium things we want to consider is what is genuine belief? Well, have you guys ever heard from somebody that they believe in the Lord and you, you watch them for a few minutes and you're not sure? Has that ever happened to you? So the concept that Jesus is talking about, what does it really look like? Okay, if it's not, you wear this robe, you, you blow a trumpet when you give your gifts, you make sure that when you pray, you're talking about how holy you are. If that's not what it is, then what is it? And so Jesus is going to describe it for us. What does genuine faith look like? And ultimately, he's going to say, it's going to go against all your grains. Because we want to make ourselves holy by performance. Don't we? Yeah, say, I don't talk that way, I talk this way. I don't, I don't act like that, I act like this. But Jesus is going to say, it's not like that at all. It's totally different. So what's he want us to see? Look at Matthew 7, verse 13. He gives a command. Enter ye. I like the King James Version there. Enter ye by the narrow gate. He's commanding that we enter, that we enter in, that we're coming into the place. In, in John chapter 3, remember Nicodemus comes to Jesus and, and Jesus says, Listen, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom 
of God. Jesus is saying here, enter in. He's not, God is in no way making this so hard no one can get saved. He's not doing that. He's calling like Lady Wisdom in Proverbs chapter 8, where she beckons to the crowds in the Proverbs to come and follow wisdom, not the way of the fool. You remember what the fool, in the book of Proverbs, the fool has said in his heart what? There is no God. Lady Wisdom says, come follow me. Come follow me. We want to walk the path whereby we enter the narrow gate. Listen to how he says it. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. You don't have to do nothing to follow the path of destruction. It just comes natural. We know that because scripture tells us we are children of wrath. We are children of rebellion. We are children who by, uh, by nature follow the easy way, right? We're following the easy path. And here the Lord is saying that easy path, it leads to destruction. And then he has this phrase, and those who enter it are many. So he's not saying there's just a few that kind of, no, there is a flood of, of people in rebellion against God who are headed toward destruction. What's the purpose in the life of a believer? It's to stand in the middle of that flood and beckon people to repent, which means change your direction and enter by the narrow gate, not by the wide gate. Many there are who will find it. Verse 14, he says, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Now I'm going to tell you the reason why the narrow gate is hard is because it's easy. And the reason the wide gate is easy is because it's hard. What do I mean? The wide gate is necessitating my effort. So I'm going to do all these things. Remember, I'm going to try to look holy on the outside. I'm going to paint myself like a whitewashed tomb full of dead men's bones. I'm not going to address my inner need of, of salvation. I'm just going to work my way. And I, what do you, If you ask most people who are headed down the wide gate on the path of destruction and you ask them, hey, if you die, why is the Lord going to let you in? They're going to say, well, I'm basically... And it's hard work to be a good person, isn't it? And it's a little bit subjective. Because <laughs> most of the time, if you ask their neighbor, their neighbor might say, that ain't a good person at all. <clears throat> so my point is, our desire as fallen men, fallen women, is to work our way to something. And Jesus' call, which, which is easy but hard, is to entrust yourself surrender yourself into his care see the narrow gate is already done and the wide gate is you trying to get it done the 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 work has already been accomplished jesus paid the way right so we put our faith and our trust in him and when god calls us to enter into that narrow gate he said, enter, not admire, <laughs> not look at it and go, wow, that's a really cool gate. 
Look how pretty it is. I really like that gate. Let me tell you all about that gate. And maybe they can tell you everything about the gate, but if all you're doing is admiring the gate, you're not entering the gate. You got to go inside. The same thing is true when we look at the picture of the tabernacle. We look at the picture of the tabernacle in the Old Testament. If you saw the tabernacle, you would look at it and say, that's just an ugly tent. It's covered with goat skin. You know, it's just brown and black and speckled. And you're like, what's so cool about that? What happened when you entered in, when you walked through the door? When you walked through the door, you saw cherubim engraved on this beautiful fabric that makes up the veil that goes to the Holy of Holies. You saw a golden lampstand. You saw golden pillars. You saw all this incredible beauty, but you could only see it where? On the inside. And Jesus said, I'm the door. Nobody gets inside except through me. If you look at a study of the tabernacle, the door, the gate, and the veil are all made of the exact same material. So they're all a picture of the exact same thing. The way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. You had to walk through the door, the provision that he provides. That's the narrow way. But if Jesus was looking around at the crowd gathered there at the Sermon on the Mount, all of those people are trying to be a picture of the scribes and the Pharisees. They're trying through the rules and regulations to live a life that is pleasing to God. Jesus even said it when he discussed the prayers. You remember the prayers, two prayers, a, a, a priest, a, a scribe, a Pharisee, he goes and says, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like that dirty guy. But then there was a tax collector who could not even utter words. He just beat his breast and said what? Have mercy on me, a sinner. Which one left justified? The one who was working so hard? Or the one who just surrendered himself to the Lord Jesus Christ and said, Lord, here I am. Save me. Forgive me. Make me righteous. The Bible says that the just shall live by, another word for the just, the righteous shall live by faith. And how are we made righteous? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. He's made us complete. So the, so the Bible says a lot of people are trying to find a way to, to save themselves or make themselves a um, you know, whatever their idea of a good person is so that they can have the promise of heaven. But the promise of heaven is in a person. His name is Jesus Christ. And there's no way to heaven apart from Jesus Christ. And it's not about how good you are. It's about are you willing to surrender yourself to him? Sometimes people use the word commitment. I don't like the word commitment. Are you committed to Christ? I don't. Here's mine. Are you surrendered to Christ? It's not about me. It's about him. And just like that song we sang, I don't always know what's going on. Do you guys? I don't always know what's going on, but I know what he's done. Amen? And I can put faith in what he's done and have hope for the future because 
he will do it again. We want to enter by the narrow gate. So in this whole section, we're going to see a bunch of twos. Two, 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 two. Two gates, easy and hard, two things, two ways to enter into the gate. You're going to see two kind of trees, a bad tree and a good tree. You're going to see two kinds of fruit, bad fruit, good fruit. You're going to see two ways to build a house, a good way, a wise way, and a foolish way, right? All of these are picturing for us, what are you going to do with the message I've just told you? This is what Jesus is saying. He's laying out for them, your righteousness is filthy rags. So enter the narrow gate. He's already told them, to be saved, you come to me. Lord, have mercy on me. Well, there's a choice we have to make. That choice has been throughout Scripture. When you look at Elijah, and Elijah's standing before the children of Israel, and he says to them, hey, today you need to choose whether you're going to worship Baal or you're going to worship Yahweh. They had a choice to make, right? Joshua stood before those same people, and he said, choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We have to choose. We're going to choose a path. You're going to choose a gate. You're going to choose a Savior. And any Savior that is not Jesus Christ will not save. Any Savior that is not the Jesus Christ of the Bible, let me try to be clearer, does not save. It's got to be who he declares himself to be. There's two ways, the easy way and the hard way. It's hard to put all your trust in Christ because it goes against our nature. But it's much freer. There's more freedom in Christ than there is in trying to do some other way. Psalm 1 the very first psalm in the book of Psalms tells us that this idea of two ways. Look what he says. Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. He's chosen a way, right? He's not in the way of rebellion against God, but rather his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law. For the word law, you can meditate word. For the Jewish mind, the law was the whole Old Testament. It was the entire Bible. And on his law, or in his word, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. But the wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked, he doesn't know. There's two paths. That's going to matter in a minute, right? There's two paths. One, a path where he knows you because you've knelt before him and said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Right? That man left justified. God knew him. There's a way of the wicked 
where God says, I don't know you. And these two paths have two different destinies. One, life. The other, death. The whole book of Proverbs is built around two paths. The way of the fool and the way of the wise. The way of life and the way of death. And they're given, those contrasts are given to us so it's not hard for you to choose. Right? Nobody goes, oh, if I do this, I'm going to die. Okay, I'm going to do this. Most of us want to preserve life, in particular our own. That doesn't mean we're not a little crazy. It doesn't mean occasionally we don't need to be corrected. Like, for example, if you're a teenage girl who drives 102 miles an hour, I'm sure, ultimately, her desire is to preserve her life, but Rusty's going to want to see you after service. (laughs) For the most part, right, the point is, if I know this path leads to destruction and this leads to life, my choice is easy, or it should be. You guys get what I'm saying? So we want to, Jesus is laying that out for us so so that it can be clear. So that we can understand. Look, in every case of these two categories that we're going to look at, they're going to refer to those who hear what Jesus says and then do it and are saved. Those who hear what Jesus says, do it and are saved. The others who only hear and never respond, who only hear Jesus say, come follow me, but never come follow me, they just hear and are destroyed. So let's look at the next section, verse 15. Now we have the, the character, character and the conduct of the false prophet. He's going to describe this to us. Look at it, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. Okay, we're going to have a description of two fruits and two trees. He says, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? The answer is no. Are figs from thistles? No, nothing good ever came from a thistle. I know. I see them every time I mow my yard. Nothing good about a thistle. No fruit comes from it. So listen to what he says. So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Both of them bear fruit. Don't forget that. You can't just look and say, well, there's no fruit in this one and there is fruit in that one. Everything bears fruit. The question is, good fruit. Is it good fruit? A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. Nor can a diseased tree produce good fruit. So you have Again, here's the choice. You have two trees. Good tree, bad tree. Good fruit, bad fruit. And we can know the difference by the fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you will recognize them by their fruit. So I want to understand the the false prophet. They're ravenous wolf. That, That word ravenous is interesting. Sometimes we might think about it like somebody trying to you know, gobble us all up. Well, more, it's more someone trying to gobble up all the power, all the 
all the authority. They want the headline. They want the billboard. They want disciples after themselves, not disciples after Christ. Now, they may have a lot of fruit. They might have big ministries and a lot of money. But the fruit is being grown from a diseased tree. And that fruit won't bring life. The only way to be a good tree, we read in Psalm 1. We don't stand in the way of sinners. We're not walking the path of destruction. We've chosen the narrow gate. We're trusting ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's the one who causes us to bear fruit. If Jesus is the root, your fruit is good. If anything else is the root, your fruit is not. If we want to have fruit that honors the Lord and glorifies God, then we have that through that same relationship with Jesus Christ. This is not a new idea. In Acts chapter 20, you're going to hear Paul say the same thing. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Paul says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. This is a challenge to the elders to care for the church of God, the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So how do you get into church? Not by signing the membership. How do you get into church? By the blood of Jesus Christ. How do you come before the Father? By the blood of Jesus Christ. Have you a personal relationship with him? Have you surrendered <coughs> to the Lord? He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, that's the elders, from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. Here's the key to draw disciples where? After themselves. After themselves. It's not about, <coughs> you know, Paul's going to talk about this in Corinthians. Some of you say, well, I'm a Peter. And others say, I'm a Paul. And another group says, I'm of Apollos. And a third group says, oh, I'm better than all of you. I'm of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, is the body of Christ divided? Are not all four of those the same group? There's only one body. There's only one bride. And that's the bride of Christ. We have a tendency to divide. And sometimes we divide because we are being drawn as disciples to a person who is not Jesus Christ. If you're drawn as a disciple to a person, when that person blows it, falls, or acts like a human being, your faith is going to get rattled. Because your faith is not in Christ, it's in a person. Our faith is in Christ. He's the one who saves. Jackie will not save any of you. We don't have the capability to save one another. Jesus saves. Amen? Jesus saves. In Ezekiel 22, in verse 27, it says this. Her princes in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey, shedding blood, destroying lives. Why? To get dishonest gain. You know the richest people in the world are preachers? Man, that bugs me. It's weird. No? 
It's weird. The richest man in Africa is a preacher. And he's not, he's rich by everybody's standards, just so you know. What is it that the scripture says in Ezekiel? Ezekiel the prophet said, look, they're, they're destroying lives for dishonest gain. They just want to make money. You know anybody like that on TV? They just want to make money. They just want to have riches. Verse 28, her prophets have smeared whitewash for them, seeing false visions, divining lies for them, saying, thus says the Lord God when the Lord has not spoken. You guys are aware that everybody who says thus says the Lord is not necessarily speaking truth. Right? One of my favorite things to tell someone when they come to me and say, Jackie, the Lord told me to tell you. I'll listen. Okay. As soon as the Lord tells me, I want to hear from the Lord. There's a lot of people who use that for authority they don't have, won't they? There's a lot of people who will use that uh, for dishonest gain. In Isaiah 30, verse 9, it says, For they are rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord, who say to their seers, the prophets, don't see. To the prophets, they say, do not prophesy what is right. Speak smooth things to us. Prophesy illusions. Tell us lies. That stuff's still going on today, no? There's two trees. One will always bear bad fruit. One will always bear good fruit. There's two ways. A path of life, a path of death. The scripture is laying out for us these ideas so that we will know to follow them. So that we will understand, hey, I, I am able to look at the tree. I am able to look at the one who is teaching. I'm able to look at the one whom, I, whom I'm listening to. And I'm able to say, is this good fruit or bad fruit? Are they pointing me to Christ? Because he's the only thing that matters. None of the other stuff is going to matter. Are you pointed to Christ? We all have the favorite, our favorite preacher to watch on YouTube, right? The question is, stop it, babe. <laughs> uh, the question is, are they pointing you to Christ? Or are they pointing you to themselves? And you can know good fruit from bad. Amen? You can know which way they are leading. Recognize the place they're leading you. Because one of them trees is headed to the fire. Right? And one of them trees is headed to life. One of those gates is headed to life. The other one is headed to the fire. A lot of choices. Verse 21. When we get to the scary parts. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
Jesus is asked in the Gospels. What should I do to do the will of the Father? You know what Jesus is going to say to him? Believe on the one whom he has sent. A lot of times we ask the question, the will of God is so hard, I don't know what the will of God is for my life. Sure you do. The will of God for your life is to have faith in Jesus Christ. Well, I, I mean where I live. What about what house I should buy? Oh, I don't care. It doesn't matter. I've had guys come out of Bible college and say, the Lord has given me two doors, Hawaii or the Mojave. And I just want to really know which one is the Lord's will. Okay. Do you love God? Yeah. Do you have faith in Christ? It don't matter. It won't matter. Look, if you go to Hawaii, he'll send somebody else to Mojave. So I would suggest. <laughs> uh, you think you know what I'd say? Yeah, I'd say Hawaii. <laughs> but my point is we complicate the will of God. We, we bring the will of God into such a microcosm that we're, maybe we're asking ourselves, Lord, what's your, what's your will? Should I wear blue socks or black socks today? Should I wear sandals or shoes? And I think, I think those things, the Bible tells us the will of God. It describes for us God's will. In John 6, verse 40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. This is the will of my Father. That everyone who looks on the Son and believes on him should have eternal life. So, yeah. Look, don't ask yourself things God's already told you. Lord, I don't know what to do. Well, he's probably saying, read the Bible. The Bible tells you what to do. Go, therefore, into every nation, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them the things that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you even until the end of the age. Lord, I don't know what to do. Well, why don't you start there? Well, who shall I disciple? Oh, the Bible tells you that too. Older men disciple younger men. Older women disciple younger women. No, men do not disciple women unless you're both single and looking to be married. You know, you might say to me, but I don't like that. Well, I'm sorry. But the Bible tells us. The question is not what should I do. The question is, do I want to do what you're telling me to do? Jesus said there will be a day when people will say, Lord, Lord. But he said, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom. Only the one that does the will of the Father, who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Verse 22, on that day they will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. It's not about what you're doing. It's about, are you in Christ Jesus? And how do I get in Christ Jesus? I fall on my knees before him in surrender, and I say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I don't say, Lord, you get a great deal with me. I'm a really cool guy. 
No, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the Lord says, he will. If you ask God for forgiveness, he will not deny it to you. He says, I don't know you. When you look at the, when you look at the Old Testament, we've been going through Hosea on, on Wednesday nights, and I love going through the Old Testament. I know it's a acquired taste for some people. But when you do, there's things you learn. And one of the things you learn going through Hosea is the charge that God made to Israel. You know what it was? You don't know me. That's a pretty big charge, right? You don't know. That was his condemnation. Now, he had revealed himself to them. He had priests and prophets who were going out to them, beckoning them to come and to follow him, but they didn't know him. They didn't know him because they were more interested in the wide gate, in the path that satisfied their own desires. You know, it's cool, God's cool and all, and I'll, I'll, he, I, he can have Sunday, but on Monday I want to worship Baal. And on Tuesday, I'm going to worship Ashtoreth. And on Wednesday, I'm going to worship this. And I'm going to do that. And I'm going to do the other. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to add him into my life. And God says, I, I didn't ever know you. That's a scary scripture. They will say, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We did mighty works in your name. But God says, I didn't know you. Because to know God is to come to Jesus Christ by faith. To be known of God is for God to forgive you. When God forgives your sins, what does scripture say? He removes them how far? As far as the east is from the west. So far that they don't even come into his remembrance anymore what is in his remembrance your name written where so if god says i don't know you where's your name not when jesus tells a parable in the gospel of luke he talks a, a parable about the rich man and lazarus you know it's interesting that he doesn't use a name for the rich man unless you get into the story and you say oh God knew Lazarus. He didn't know the rich man. Now, I'm not saying God has holes in his knowledge. Understand what I'm saying. There was no relationship. There was no relationship. The rich man had all the things he wanted, but he didn't want God. The poor man had nothing, but he had the Lord. So he had everything he needed. Does the Lord know you we want to be in that place he says i never knew you so depart from me you are a worker do you see it a worker of iniquity you're trying to work your way to me and you can't do that the bible says my righteousness is filthy rags so no matter how much i try to do it's not going to earn me salvation. Now, did God give me good works to walk in? 
Right, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, doesn't it say we are saved by grace through faith? It's the gift of God, not of ourselves, lest any man would boast. He has given us good works that we should walk therein. Right? We want to be, we want to reflect the character of God, but when we're doing that, we're not trying to earn salvation. Right? We already know the Lord. He's made us righteous. Now I want to look like him. I want to love like him. I want to see other people like he sees them. I want to have compassion where he has compassion, and I want to have uh, a desire for justice where he has a desire for justice. I don't want to be led by my own emotions and desires and my weird things that occur in my head. I want to be led by his. That's a different motivation altogether, isn't it? And from that one, the Lord would not say, depart from me, I never knew you. Because he knew you. There was a day you surrendered to him. And he came down and lifted up your face. And he said, you are my child today. Before that moment, you were a child of wrath. But on the day that he has forgiven you and he gives you his righteousness and he clothes you in his robe, now you're a child of the king. Isn't that a better thing to be? If I said you have two choices, what kind of child do you want to be? Child of wrath or child of the king? It shouldn't be that hard. It should not be, it should not be that difficult. So now the Lord is going to give us another example. Are you going to rely on God's words? What are you going to build your life on? Listen to the story. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Who's the rock? Jesus Christ. Paul told us that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He is the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house. Did bad things happen to that house? Even though it's built on a rock, bad stuff still happened? What kind of deal is that? The Bible says the rain falls on the evil and the good. Bad things happen all the time. Churches actually catch on fire and burn down. Pastors' wives get cancer. My pastor's wife died of cancer. Pastors die of cancer. The pastor that started this church died of cancer. Bad things happen. The point is, if you're built on the rock, the wind will blow, the storms will come, but you will not fall. Why? Because you're built on the rock. You're built on Christ. I walked into a woman's house one time. She was a friend of my mother, and I can't I can't remember her name because I'm getting old. Huh? Was it Kathy? It was your name? Oh. There you go. My wife, my wife is my memory most of the time. So I walked into this room. Now Kathy had stomach cancer, and they tried to do surgery on her. And they found the cancer was everywhere and there's nothing they could do. They could not even close the wound. So when you're in the room with Kathy, uh, if you moved back the dressing, you could see all her intestines. There, she, and there's nothing they could do. She's just waiting to die. 
And so I go to see her and I'm going to go pray with her, you know, because that's a hard place to be. And I come walking in the door uh, in her living room. She's at home. And as soon as I walk in, she goes, oh, hey, Jackie, I'm so glad you're here. I want to pray for you. (laughs) The only way you can do that is if your house is built on the rock. The wind will blow. The rain will come. But you won't be shipwrecked. Because you're entering the narrow gate. You're eating fruit from the good tree. You built your home on Jesus Christ. Now the Bible also tells us there was a fool. What did the fool do? He built his house where? Seemed like a bad idea? Seems like a bad idea. Now did the same storms come to him? But what happened to his house? It fell down. His life is shipwrecked. And great was the fall of it. Two homes. One will stand. One will fall. You get to make the choice. Are you a wise builder? Or a foolish builder? In the end, it says in verse 28, Now when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he was teaching them as one who had authority. This this means, it kind of melts my brain to think about it, but God the Word was speaking the Word of God. And there's, we can't do that today. We don't have that authority, but Jesus does. So when he tells us, hey, man, when he's telling us these things, he's laying these things out. Wow, this is gospel truth. This is Jesus saying there are two paths, two ways. You can try, don't lose sight, you can try having the righteousness of the scribes of the Pharisees. Or you can come follow me. But unless your righteousness is greater than theirs you won't inherit the kingdom of God the way our righteousness is made greater is because our righteousness is found in Christ our house is built on the rock we eat from a tree with good fruit we enter the narrow gate and each one of these things Jesus is closing in are choices we make point in Israel's history the priests went up on two mountains and they read over the people the curse and the blessings and then the Lord spoke to the people and he said I have set before you life and death blessing and cursing choose life we get to make that choice amen I pray you will choose Jesus Christ why don't you stand with me we're going to close in a time of prayer we've been doing this the last couple of weeks so there will just be some instrumental music around the sanctuary there will be elders and deacons available who will pray with you 
it's okay. If there's nothing that you uh, have a need of prayer for, God bless you and, and go in peace. But if you need prayer, we invite you to stay. Uh, I, don't want to I don't want you to feel like you're trapped, but I also don't want to tell you to just run away. But take uh, the opportunity that we have to come before the Lord in prayer and seek his face. The scripture says you have not because... So we want to provide that opportunity because one of the things the Lord calls us to do in these last days is watch and pray. So we want to provide that opportunity the, the last few minutes of the service. Please uh, take advantage of those and uh, seek out someone with whom you can pray. Let's go before the Lord. Father God, thank you for the truth of your word laying out before us the things that your spirit has been speaking to your people from the beginning. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come learn from me. Follow me. There are two paths before every man, woman, and child. God lays it out before his people from the dawn of man. Adam, there are lots of trees to eat from. Just not that one. Follow me. To the children of Israel, blessing and cursing. Life and death, choose life. To the church, narrow way, wide way. Enter by the narrow gate. Come, follow me. Lord, I pray your spirit would move in this place. For those who need prayer for health and healing, God, I pray that your spirit would move them to come for prayer, Lord, for those who don't know you, have no relationship with you, to whom you would say, depart from me, I never knew you. I pray that they would come to know you today before they walk out those doors. I pray, Lord God, that you would move in this place in a mighty way, Lord, and that you be glorified and magnified. For this is your way your righteousness, your salvation. And for this, we will give you praise for all eternity. For every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess. We ask, Lord, you move in this place, be glorified here as we pray to you in Jesus' name.